Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast and continuing the theme this week with another fantastic sales leader on the show. Today, we're going to be jumping in to discuss a topic which is close to the heart of many revenue leaders who are navigating a changing market. It's also a topic that is crucial for many founders operating in B2B SaaS Today's topic is going to be centered around pricing and packaging, which as many of us listening to the show on a regular basis will know, it's far easier said than done. And it's a tremendously difficult thing to get right. And it's a very difficult thing to keep updated and keep evolving with the market as you scale. Really excited about today's topic and excited about today's guest. Today's guest is a friend of the show, Jens, Jens Massart. Jens, you and I have got to know each other over the last 12 months, perhaps through your previous role. You've been leading sales teams for many years. You've been on both sides of the fence as an individual contributor, as well as a sales leader. Very, very happy to be here on this very hot day. So it's 31 degrees Celsius here. So we're not used to that in Belgium. Absolutely. Jens, for those listening to the show who haven't connected with you before or haven't seen any of your content on LinkedIn, Help the audience understand a little bit more about yourself and your journey in sales so far. Yes, it might be a bit of a, an unusual yeah, experience that I have because I started off basically as a consultant after my education. I had university degree, a master's degree in my pocket, but didn't really know what I wanted to do and what I was good at. So I went to like some more touristic consultancy firm where basically they hired me for two years and two months as a, a fixed contract. And in during that time, they rent you out to a lot of companies where I, the main lesson that I learned there is that I didn't want to work in those large enterprise companies. I worked for the public transportation in Belgium for the BNP Paribas Fortis, which is like a big bank in, in Europe. And yeah, it was for me like I'm the kind of an enthusiastic person who likes to take initiative and who likes to launch like new ideas and projects and yeah, it's just not the, the right environment for that. And so then after that experience, I saved up some money and did what I always wanted to do. In, and I traveled around the world alone, never left Europe and never traveled alone. So for me, that was like two challenges at the same time that I really wanted to tackle. Traveled around for about nine months before joining my, my girlfriend that I just met before leaving because she was also working in that first company. And then she had an opportunity to go to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. And then I joined her there and liked it, uh, liked the atmosphere, liked the city a lot. And then I, I looked for a job there. And so I became entrepreneur in residence in an, uh, one of the largest e-commerce companies in Southeast Asia, which is called Photobook Worldwide. And as the name explains, they actually sold yeah, personalized photo albums and also postcards and stuff like that. And I was tasked with building a new business unit for everything, everything which was printing on non-paper. So the typical examples are the white mugs where you can print your face on and stuff like that. I, I think in one I worked there for one year and launched 45 products 
with an amazing team, but it was really like screening the market, what is interesting, then installing the machinery, ordering it, installing it, hiring people to manage it, brief the marketing team, and then also their first experience with price setting. Like how do you price a white mug compared to, to your competitors, but also compared to your cost and what it's worth or what other people actually ready to pay for it. For a lot of reasons, we had to come back to Belgium. I uh, came back to Belgium, then really was uh, attracted to the SaaS industry where I actually yeah, have been working in since then. Been working for four years at Team Leader, which is a Belgian, yeah, pretty successful SaaS company selling a CRM system, where I was responsible for first for international expansion, then partnership management, a fast strategy on how to manage partners, mainly focusing on resellers. That was pretty successful and then became sales operations, basically the right hand of the chief revenue officer. And there I had actually the first, the real experience on pricing and packaging. And I really appreciated how Team Leader put in the effort to do it like really seriously. And because that's the thing, right? Often people, you start a company, you put a price, you think maximum two hours about it, like how people price it, how people buy it. Okay, you have a price, you try it, you have your first customers, you think it works, it works and you don't touch it anymore. Certainly don't touch it anymore. A bit the same at Team Leader. So we did a whole review on, on that, but I'll come back to that later. And then I got asked in when I was working there to become the VP sales of Nodalview. Nodalview is a company, also SaaS, of course, selling a solution to real estate agents to give them everything they need to have super high quality pictures, videos, 360 experiences and floor plans all from the mobile app. And there it was, again, leading the sales team, making sure that we got the efficiency up. And there as well, we did the same exercise around pricing and learned a lot about basically what is exactly the value metric that our customers want to pay for instead of what we think they should pay for. And there's also there's often a discrepancy between that. And early this year, in February this year, basically, none of you and I decided to stop because the sales team was pretty much rolling. There were two sales managers. There was a sales ops. I was VP sales on top of that. They were also on the way to break even. So basically meant no real big new strategic projects, no big hires anymore in terms of numbers of salespeople. And so, yeah, we agreed to stop our, our collaboration there. And, and, and that made a lot of business sense. And for me, that was from the, the beginning of me becoming a freelance, both in helping companies with their sales organization and increase sales efficiency, and also pricing and packaging, because I noticed that I really have like, yeah, it's something that I'm pretty passionate about to, to, to really research how can you price something not from your point of view, but from your buyer's point of view. And how can you make sure that your buyers are going to continue to pay more for your product because they use it more. Super cool intro and really excited to dive into today's topic. One thing that was interesting hearing about your journey so far, Jens, you know, it feels like the pricing and packaging piece feels like it's been a bit of a kind of common theme or red thread across many of the projects and businesses that you've helped. We talk a lot on this podcast around enabling sales, people to realize their potential, particularly in today's market, commerciality and thinking about how you price, how you package and how you sell is so crucial to winning in today's market. Mm -hmm. Help us understand, you know, if, maybe take us from the top. What are the sorts of things that we as revenue leaders, as founders of businesses should be thinking about when it comes to pricing our products? Because, you know, I'll, I'll give the, from my personal experience, the lazy way is 
you just go to some adjacent players in the market and you look at a kind of ballpark pricing point that they're taking to market and then you go a little bit above or a little bit below the dumb lazy way but what's the better way i get that but there's often you know people don't even realize that there's something that can be improved within the pricing strategy and that is for example you have no issues on on gathering new customers customers are coming in but the unit economics are really not good. Like, for example, the LTV, the CAC is just not good. That's probably linked to your pricing. People like your product. People actually use it. You can sell it. So it's not your marketing. It's not your sales. But the fact is that unit economics are not right. So that's really something that is linked to your pricing. Another potential indicator is the fact that you have poor user retention. You can sell it. People use it, but then they're not continue to use it or not as you wish, users are actually usage is going down, that's probably linked to your packaging, pricing and more to the packaging. And how do you actually package? What's the value that you want to give? Probably you're selling something that people not want to pay for, but they want to use some other stuff in your, in your product, right? That's what we call the value metric. What is the real value metric your customers are wanting to pay for? Same thing with poor MRR, AR retention, right? It's probably about your, your pricing and the value metric. A good example is people that are wrongly pricing on based on users, like seats, right? The typical, what we all used to do in the past was, yeah, you sell just per seat. But of course, people are super creative, sharing accounts or, or just saying, hmm, maybe we don't need it for everybody. Let's use it limitedly. But if you would price it differently, not seat-based, probably everybody would constantly use it and everybody would still be like a fan of your product that you create a lot of lock-in. Whereas now it's only two or three people using it within a company. And so if it has to, if they have to like look at the tooling, who is using what, only three people. Okay, let's change that. That's the difference there as well. And then you have another problem or another issue that you can identify in a company is like, how about your acquisition volume, right? If you don't manage to have those high acquisition, it's probably that you have a misaligned value proposition or that you're working towards the wrong segments. Sounds maybe less pricing and packaging related, but the first most important thing to do if you do a pricing and packaging exercise is actually realizing who are we selling to? What are our segments? What are the unit economics for our segments and their persona? What do they cost us? What do they bring us? And a lot of people have that on the complete customer base. But the interesting part is when you start looking into segments, if you separate them into segments, for example, we have this industry with this size and we close this amount of customers that's the customer acquisition cost we have and that's the lifetime value i mean if you do it like that and you say like we have three or four segments you might realize that you have might have one segment that has an uh, ltv or CAC of like seven which is extremely good and then you have another with one if you merge them together you're around 3.5, which is okay. And that's what you want to be. But maybe you should stop focusing on the one that is just one. Or you have to change a lot on your pricing and packaging for that segment if you really want to keep that segment. And reasons to keep that segment could be like total addressable market is huge. So there's a lot of potential and stuff like that. And then you have poor conversion, of course. That's where it's more logic one is marketing works. A lot of leads come in, but sales is just not managing to close them. And then that's probably also because the pricing is just way too high or too low and it's it's outside of the willingness to pay range of your customers and those are for me like the highest level indicators that there's probably something wrong or something that can be improved with your pricing 
Awesome. I've heard about four different pillars uh, of that process I'd love to pick apart. You started there with the first of those being identifying or understanding your value metric. For those listening, you haven't come across that term. What is a value metric? Value metric is basically how you're going to describe the value that your customer is willing to pay for. And that can be seeds, right? Look at Slack. Slack is typical seed-based. You miss out if one of your personnel members don't have access to Slack. Then you just lose all the advantage. So you're willing to pay for a user, but you're not necessarily willing to pay for a lot of users. If you're, for example, an invoicing tool, then you're going to say, okay, we're going to take one user. We're going to share the account. Everybody does the same thing in that. And so there, it might be usage. It might be feature-based. It might be, no, there's also a lot of those packages are good, better, best, right? You have the good package. There you have all that you need without extra stuff. You have the better. If you're a bit bigger, if you want to be a bit more professional, you have the better. If you want to be the best, you have the best package. Everything in there, all in one. You never need something else. That's also a way that's feature-based value metrics. That's really useful if you're, for example, selling to different segments. If you feel like different segments need different features, then go to those packages. Super interesting. And just real quick on that, if I may, you spoke about the importance of keeping your pricing simple. I'm thinking about a couple of examples here where with those packages you spoke about, how often will they have multiple value metrics? So they maybe have a package which starts off with seat-based pricing, but then they may also have a dashboard package, which is more usage-based. How frequently do you see that? And how does one go about keeping the pricing simple when you've got multiple? Very good question indeed. Sometimes you see like the good, better, best mixed with users. That's perfectly fine. If you found out that for your segments and for your customers, there's two metrics that are super important, and then you can play around with it too. For example, what you see a lot is like you described those add-ons, right? You have the basic pack, you pay per user. If you want the dashboard add-on, you pay X more. If you want to have the marketing pro add-on, you pay this more. That's all possible. And then it's smart to do that if you realize that you have different segments that are having good metrics and that are strategically well for you, but they have different needs. It would be stupid to then say, we make one package and you just pay per user because then it's actually like, this is not what I need and this is not really what I need, but there's parts of it that we need. So that's how you can actually separate it. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we've we've understood and defined value metric. We start to think about based on our value proposition or value propositions, which value metrics are likely to work best. You then spoke about the importance of segmenting. So understanding your value proposition versus your segments. You talked there about actually some of your segments may have better unit economics than others. How do you go about starting to think about doing that exercise? Like what does that what does that look like? That's a very good question. And for starters, it's very difficult to do that for early stage startups, right? You have to have a bit of a a customer base to really look into a couple of metrics. But I always start with the very typical things, like the the general things that people use, right? The the markets like geography, the the industry, the company size, company revenue, really what's, what's important for your type of solution that you're selling? What is like, what does that resonate with? But then you go like, do we see any product usage difference? And then you you start with those, maybe you start with six segments that you think, okay, those are potential segments that we that might be worthy to separate. Do they use our product differently? If you see differences, that's really like, okay, they have different needs. And that's really where, where you have to then dig into and see like, what are the features that they use? But even more, 
why do they use them, right? What is the job to be done? What is the end value that they actually need? And to make that clear, I like to use the very typical common example that I learned already back at school, but it's like when I try to sell you a, a drilling machine, I'm not selling you the machines, talking about the features of the machine, right? You have 18 different speeds, you have the hammering option, you have a safety button here, whatever. Actually, I don't care as a buyer. What I want to know is how easy am I going to drill holes in the wall? And even more, how easy am I going to decorate my house? And that's the value that I'm actually buying from you. And that's what I'm willing to pay for, right? I want to decorate my house without damaging the whole thing. And that's the same with software. If you, a lot of salespeople and a lot of marketeers are still talking about, hey, we have a new feature for you. We have this, this, this. And do you, have you seen how easy this cool feature does? And that takes, cool. But what's in it for me, right? What is it going to solve for me? It could be that actually I can have my Sunday 100% for me and my family because I don't need to work anymore. That's real value I'm willing to pay for. But that's like, of course, more good to market than, than the pricing and packaging, but it's really very much related. Yeah, spot on. You said something really interesting in the beginning when you talked through packaging. And you said that you know quite often SaaS companies will be selling the package to a customer base, but then usage dies out and declines over time. Help us understand more there about what's what's causing that. If you have like a bad or a poor user retention base, that's basically that probably your packaging is not right for the users that you're aiming for. Or again, the value metric, it's mainly like, what am I paying for and what am I actually using? And if that is not aligned at a certain moment, you know that you're going to lose your customer. Whereas if the value metric that I really need is the one that I'm paying for, then I might go when I'm really like in a very, very bad situation, I might do a, like a downsell. No, I might take temporary, like use it a bit less, but at least I still need it because that's I know what's the value, right? And I, I'm going to use it. And that's also something that I see a lot with customers or with people that in the SaaS industry that are struggling with their pricing is what do you add and where do you stop adding stuff to packages? How do you recognize that value metric? How do you actually know? And then I said, ask them, right? You have to just do surveys. And it's pretty nice ways to do that. Just like, what's your most preferred feature? What's your least preferred feature? And you in a bunch of five, and then you constantly mix them up and you make sure that you send that to your segments that you want to target. And then you know kind of value metrics. It's going to give you a lot of insights. And I think I talked to you previously as well about the, the McDonald's example, right? Like you have the, the leaders, the fillers and the killers. And the trigger is really the burger, right? Everybody goes in with one thing in mind. I want to have my burger. And then you have the fillers, which are the fries and the Coke. You pull your customer in with the burger. Find your own burger. If you find your burger, that's probably going to be your value metric. And then you can add on relevant fillers. But also don't forget that you have killers. And the killers are the ones that you have to either get out and just stop developing or repackage completely and try to find another way to sell them, another market, another segment. And that's, for example, what, what McDonald's did with the coffee, right? They tried the coffee just to add on, but of course, nobody takes a coffee with their burger, even not after the burger, which was initially the idea, because in the restaurant, everybody takes coffee after your lunch. In McDonald's, never, but nobody did it. Hence, they just killed it and they repackaged it in the cafe. But at least everybody goes in the morning now also to McDonald's to get their coffee. How cool is that? And that's exactly the same way you can uh, you can achieve exactly the same with software. I just think that's such a simple framework that splits it out so well. 
What I'm thinking about is, in your experience, what should leaders be thinking about in their trigger? Should the trigger always be the highest value part of your product? Or quite often do you see companies sometimes create like a lower value, but quick and easy trigger that gets them in. And then actually it's the filler that's the that's a really, really, really good question. And that's something that is really different based on, on, on every situation. But often it is the one thing that people are already like actively looking for a solution on how can I get better performance metrics for my sales team. And then of course, UHubs pops up. And then if I see UHubs and I see just like a very, very easy plugin that I want to want to start with, because that's probably what I'm looking for. Just something that is easy to plug and play. And that's your burger. And then your fillers are all the nice things that I can get on top of it. By the time I need my mayonnaise, we might be already one year further, right? But at least you have me with the burger and I'm using that burger and I'm becoming a fan and I'm becoming, and then you have product-led growth, you have marketing, you have customer marketing to really push me to find out all the other fillers that you have. And that's something that really works well. Sometimes the burger is sneaked in by developers that are like getting a free access. I think Figma is a good example of that, right? Figma is just like free. And then some people in your company start using it because it's easy and then they share it. And then all of a sudden, oh, you have to, now you're a small team. So you have to pay for a small team and it comes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's just fillers. I mean, more and more seeds. That's also an example of how do you place your your, your burger? What's the trigger of people to start using you and to start willing to pay for you? Something came to mind as you were talking through that, Jens, which I'm a big advocate. I actually was with him in London yesterday of Yakko from Winning by Design. Yeah. One of those things he always bangs on about is recurring impact, right? So recurring revenue comes from delivering recurring impact. It's making me wonder, like, is it essential that the trigger is a feature that delivers recurring impact? Or actually, could a trigger be something that delivers like a lot of sort of initial impacts? And then it could be followed up by fillers that deliver a bit more incremental recurring impact? Or do we think that it's really important that the trigger also delivers recurring impact? Well, I think if you're in a SaaS business, you it's all about recurring. I, I do uh, agree with Jaco there. If you have a trigger that would be like a one-off value experience for your customers, that's almost more like a marketing lead generation tool then to get like people in and even like they paid for you to use you once. And then it's about sales to like but know how you can actually use this in a recurring way. And 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 Often people that I talk to are selling to enterprise and they feel like, yeah, we were struggling to get our sales cycles down. And so what we did is we go for a proof of concept and then they pay once and then then it doesn't go to purchasing and stuff. Very good in theory, but watch out that you don't come to a phase where you have to sell your product twice. You have to sell your product to the business owner and the engineer that might use it within their budget. And then they say, yeah, now we want to we want to buy it. And then you have to sell it all over again. And then you have to do a whole... That's not shortening the sales cycle. That is just creating a lot of customer acquisition costs to your stuff. And then it's also something like a lot of times companies are attracted by those enterprise sales, of course, because they have massive average contract volumes. But they often also have massive customer acquisition costs. And that's why it's so important to measure them separately per segment that you can, as a a strategic leader, really say, like, stop focusing on that. 
because everybody wants it. Everybody wants to close the Googles and the, and the big accounts and the Adidas's of the world and the Apples of the world. And, because it's amazing if you can do it and it's good for your employer branding. It's good for your, to put on logo on the website, but probably chances are really high that you're going to lose money on it. That resonates so much with me as a founder and also our experience, recent experience, actually. We've actually found in this market that repackaging our solution at U-Hubs into smaller modules, it yeah reduces our deal sizes quite significantly, but mm-hmm. it's done wonders for our deal velocity. We're closing much more logos now. Yeah. However, to your point, like we are finding that, yeah, okay, we'll sell them the initial module, but then at times we're starting to experience it. Maybe we are having to sell more than once. Super valuable conversation, Jens. So much of this stuff makes me think and reflect that definitely in earlier stage companies, we're just not putting the structure in place. You know, you talked about the surveying approach and just thinking about this in a much more structured way mm-hmm. feels like it's it's really important. I agree. And I think, or at least that's that's a feeling I have, is that a lot of founders are actually afraid of touching pricing and, and of, yeah, but you know, if we change prices now, what do we do with all customers? How do we go through that? And sometimes it really represents a lot of work also in the backend, right? In your in your invoicing system, in your CRM system for sales, in their in their quote making systems and stuff like that. It's all something that you have to change. Also, maybe the whole narrative of sales has to change. If you all of a sudden don't sell separate modules anymore, like you have a menu, I want this, this, and this, but you sell a bit of everything and the good package, the good, better, best, that's a whole different way of selling it. It's more value-based than, than feature-based again. And so that's where I see that and where it's where it's funny it's sometimes in, in discussions I have as a, as a consultant to those companies. Because often people uh, like founders think, okay, we're going to have like two half-day sessions and it's going to be fixed, right? And then I say, no, it is at least three months that you, yeah, you have yeah. to focus on this a couple of days a week with a task, internal task force somebody from marketing, somebody from sales, somebody from go-to-market, finance, and CS, and ideally somebody from management. But it's really like, there is a lot of work, but the amazing thing is that the outcome is that you exactly know who you're selling to, you exactly know what they bring back to you. And I've learned as well, like if your sales crew or if your sales team is aware of the different customer acquisition costs and LTVs of different segments, you will notice that they'll act towards it. They'll make sure that they, they don't spend time anymore to, to stuff that is not interesting to the company because they also know that in the end, they don't get a lot of recognition for it. And, and it's, it's just so much nicer if every, to get everybody aligned in the same direction because you can explain the why. And that's only one of the small things also for marketing, the whole narrative. How do you attract them? You find all of a sudden, you know what your trigger is. Let's talk about the trigger more instead of the fillers, right? Or certainly don't talk about the killers. And that's something that a lot of people today don't know. And it's all about based on assumptions and stuff that you try out. And that's okay. You have to start somewhere, right? But once you have a decent size, go ask. It's great advice. I've got one burning question before we wrap up. Because this this has been an amazing conversation. You spoke about conversion. You spoke about getting that temperature gauge within a segment of higher price, lower price. Like in your experience, what's better? To err on the side of too high or, or too low? Straight in the middle. Do you go for 50 euros a month or 70 euros a month for low value stuff? Yeah, I would recommend going for 60 because that's that's really the ideal price point. Often then you can start to play around with that. You know, we're going to go for the 50. And if you if you found like there was interesting fillers that people also indicated like as a second or third most preferred thing, then you, could ju- you know you have the trigger for 50 euros. Do you want the filler as 20 euros on plot? 
And you know that yeah. what they want to pay for it because, and that gives you the insights to basically do the research to gather the pieces of the puzzle and then have fun making the puzzle. It's really like important to, if you have made a form of puzzle, look back and like take the data of two quarters and put it through your new packages and see what happens in the metrics. And that's really cool to see as well. Like, okay, we would have this much more new revenue. We would have this much less CAC or, or higher LTV or, or not. And then you can see, okay, maybe not the best idea to go for. Let's, let's go back to the drawing boards. Jens, really enjoyed the discussion today. And thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights so generously with the community. We've got about 60% of this listener base is North American. 40% is is rest of world, obviously, with most of that being in EMEA. But for listeners of the show who would love to learn more and dive deeper into the topic of pricing and packaging with yourself, what's the best way for them to get in touch? I would definitely say LinkedIn. So just go to Jens Massart. I hope somewhere around this, it will be visible how to write Massart because it's not the easiest way for non Belgian people. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm really active on LinkedIn and, and reactive as well. If you, if you just pop a message to me, that, that's perfectly fine. Amazing, Jens. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to catching up soon. Pleasure was all mine. Thanks a lot, Matt. By uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation, and skills, UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue. The UHubs Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs, personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.